right. Everybody doing well? Great. We're excited. Uh, where's, where did Cleveland go? So, huh? We, uh, and I, I meant to mention those guys, Phil, Corbett, and uh, Cleveland, uh, Kyle's, and Cleveland's been doing that for so many years for us, uh, blowing that shofar. If you've never tried to blow a ram's horn, uh, you should give it a go. They are very difficult to, uh, to blow, and, and particularly to get any kind of tone uh, out of it. Those are the same ram's horn in the Bible there. They're called shofars. And that's what uh, that brought down, you know, the walls of Jericho when they blew those, those trumpets, those horns. It was actually ram's horns. And we so appreciate uh, Cleveland and uh, Phil. And these guys have been practicing. Johanna told me y'all been coming for weeks, uh, getting that down. You did good, Phil. Uh, amen. Awesome. And each night we're going to do that, right? We're going to do it each night. And so thank y'all for doing that. And Mary Lee back there, that was so appropriate. Uh, Mary Lee, uh, not only did uh, 12 years ago, it's been 12 years? 12 years uh, through, through the, the, you know, just God's grace and mercy and uh, through a word of knowledge, God healed her of uh, colon cancer. She had a tumor and uh, they were trying to shrink it so they could operate it and the Lord just took it instantly and healed her standing right down here. Uh, 12 years ago during the Feast of Tabernacles. And, uh, and she is the one that has painted these beautiful uh, pictures of the feast. Amen. And we love you for that. Thank you. Um, and she did those so beautifully. So, amen. It takes a lot of people to keep this ministry going. Amen. One of the things that uh, is so special about this feast, and I know that this may seem... You know, one thing that happened to us during Constantine and all that time period is things got changed and the church became uh, distanced uh, from its Jewish roots. And therefore, we lost a lot of revelation of things and what to do. And, and this is uh, God's calendar. He talks about it in Leviticus 23. That's the only chapter in the whole uh, Bible where God chronologically spells out each of these seven appointed times. And uh, God is good all the time, and I hope you know that. Uh, and I hope you uh, believe that, not just in your head, but in your heart, uh, because he is good all the time. Some people think he's good, but not all the time. But God is really good all the time. So you don't have to have a special day for God to, to you know, do what he does. But there are times that God, uh, you know, does special things. How I many knows that? You do the same thing. You give your, you, aren't you good to your kids all the time? But then you're extra good to them on their birthday, right? Or your wife on the anniversary or whatever. So we even have special holidays, holy days, that special things occur and happen. And, and, uh, but the Lord called for all uh, of Israel initially and then now for all of mankind to assemble. And this feast here, this appointed time called Tabernacles, I believe is you know it's the it's the most joyous feast it's the greatest feast of the seven uh, because in the rabbis they just refer to it as the feast and everybody knows what they're talking about it it is futuristic in the sense that it is it is prophetic and it has prophetic intent and it is prophesying the coming time when God uh, will again tabernacle with with men. And you read that in Revelation. He saw the new, John saw the new city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and to this earth. I don't, you know, people have got this religious idea that we're all going to leave here and go to the planet heaven. Uh, you didn't get that out of the Bible. You got that out of religion. Uh, heaven's coming here. God has always been the God that left there and came here. And we've never had to try to figure out how to get to him because he's always been here with us and for us. Uh, he says that these feasts are not just feasts of the Jews, they're not just feasts for Israel, but they are feasts of the Lord. And God says specifically uh, in Leviticus, Leviticus 23 that they are my appointed times. They're mine. And that's the calendar that God has been always uh, working off of. And I'm going to do it a little bit different today because i got something else on my heart. 
and I will take one of the, uh, the three nights that we've got coming to maybe be a little more specific. But just to say this, and I know that most of you know this, of course, we've got these seven uh, feasts, and, uh, and there's three major feasts. There's Passover, there's the Feast of Weeks, some people refer to it as Pentecost. How many knows the word Pentecost? What does that mean? Fifty. It means fifty. And then we've got the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, then now there's other feasts that are part and attached to that. But let me just say this to you about God. God is not haphazard. God is a God of order. And, and, and so when Jesus Christ and, and all the church that's got any kind of sense would know this and agree to this, that Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, Paul called him, was crucified, not close to, about, on, he was crucified exactly on Passover. And he gave up, you know, his life at three o'clock in the afternoon, which was the time of the evening sacrifice of Passover. And that's, that's literally when Jesus died. So everything that God has ever done has been in congruence with these appointed times. So God's not a haphazard God and a God that just does things willy-nilly and knee-jerk and response, you know, response, mm-mm. He's a God that is, that is specific in what he's doing. So Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. He was put in the tomb and uh, the Feast of, of uh, Unleavened Bread. There was no leaven, no sin, no, no, no wrong in him. And then he was resurrected on the Feast of first fruits. Uh, exactly. So everything there with his crucifixion was exactly in congruence and in harmony with these feasts. And, and as God continues in, we'll, we'll talk about it more. But then from the time that, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the other feast that comes, now these feasts, this feast is always in the spring of the year, March, April on our Gregorian calendar. But uh, that's the only reason it changes is because our calendar is not God's calendar. Our calendar is made up of, of uh, how do I say this, uh, false Greek gods, Mar, March, Mars, the god of war, uh, you know, August, Augustus Caesar, uh, July, Julius Caesar. So it has nothing to do with God, okay? It has nothing to do with God. Um, but it's okay, you can still work off your calendar, okay? But I'm just saying that's why it, it changes from year to year. Uh, sometimes we're observing tabernacles in September. Sometimes it hits in October on our calendar. But after Jesus was resurrected, then he walked among the people, uh, and he was seen among them and seen by hundreds and hundreds for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And then he ascended from the Mount of Olives. He told them to go to Jerusalem and tarry await there to the endowment of power from on high that had been promised, the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and some would even refer to it as the birth of the New Testament church or the New Covenant church. And so they went to the upper room. Jesus ascended. The angels were in attendance. The disciples, remember, were standing there, and the angel said, Why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus that you have seen uh, leave will also come again and receive you unto himself in like manner. And so he told them to go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. They go into this upper room, and they hang out there for how many days? Forty. Well, okay, let's go over this again. Pentecost means what? Fifty. Now, this feast was commanded by God to occur 50 days after the end or of the first fruits. So seven times seven is what? Forty-nine. And then God says on the next day, it shall be the feast, all right? And it's the, called the Feast of Weeks. That's why, because there's seven weeks. And so on that 50th day, that is an appointed, again, time on God's calendar. Now, I grew up thinking, and my church told me that they were in the upper room and they were fasting and praying and begging God to send the Holy Ghost. Anybody hear that lie besides me? Their fasting and praying didn't have jack to do with it, Okay. They could have been up there playing dominoes and playing cards for 10 days and God would have still done what he was going to do because it was on his calendar. It had nothing to do with them. Can you swallow that? And if you don't believe that, just read your Bible on Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, I heard a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind that filled all the house where they were assembled, Right? So it had nothing to do with what they did. They didn't evoke it. They didn't pray it in. They didn't, none of that. It's religion. Uh, this ain't by works. 
lest any man should boast. It was just God's calendar, and God said, if y'all will hang out in the upper room, I got something special going to happen for you on the Feast of, of Pentecost, or Feast of Weeks. Kind of funny sometimes, and I was raised in a, around Pentecostal charismatic people, so you know, people say, well, I'm Pentecost. That means you're 50. Only year you can say that is when you're 50. From then on, you're not Pentecost. On that day, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is a sound of a mighty rushing wind filled all the house where they were assembled. They were physical signs, cloven tongues of fire appeared over each of them. Uh, people that did not know the languages that they were speaking began to speak those foreign languages and began to magnify and glorify God. Because at each of these feasts, if you was a Jew, you were mandated to be there, to come to these feasts. You were mandated to be there. That's why when Jesus was born, he was born uh, during actually the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why there was no room in the inn. Because Jerusalem and the surrounding Judean hills and all of that area would be uh, filled to capacity with two, some say three million pilgrims would come. If you were 20 years old or older, a Jew, no matter where you lived in the world, you were mandated to come to Israel. So how many knows the Romans wasn't stupid and they knew that? So when do you think that they would evoke their tax collection? When everybody's at the house? Or would they evoke it when the feasts are going on? So that's why that they would collect the taxes when all the Jews would come in and they would, they would you know, take the tax from them. That's why when Jesus was born, there was a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the people should be taxed because he wasn't stupid. He was doing it during when these Jews would be there and he could get more money that way, right? And that's why there was no room in the inn because people would camp out all over the region. And uh, there was just no place to be had when Jesus made his interest. But even his birth, uh, you know, was in congruence with these feasts and festivals. When Jesus walked the earth, he kept every one of these feasts. Even after Jesus was resurrected, these didn't go away. And the Apostle Paul in the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter 18 and several other places, he kept these feasts even after Jesus was raised from the dead. And that shows they're important. Somebody sometimes asks me, well, why do you keep the Feast of uh, Tabernacles? I ask you, why do you take communion? Okay. Why, would you why do you take communion? What is, what is really communion? Communion is you're participating in the Last Supper, the Passover, right? I hope you knew that. Did you know that? So every time you take communion, you are remembering the Passover. Now, there's never been but one Passover, and that one occurred in Egypt. And every Passover subsequent to that has just been a memorial or an observance or a remembering of that time when God's people were delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, where the blood was applied in faith by them. And when, the, when, the, when that, uh, that plague come, he said, when I see the blood, I will do what? Pass what? That's where the word comes from. I'll pass over you. There will be no judgment. There will be no condemnation. There will be none of that. Why? Because of how the people lived because of how the people prayed, because of how good they've been. Nobody, nobody's looking at the people. They're looking at the blood. And if the blood's been applied, that's all that matters. This is not by works. It's by faith in Jesus. Amen. And so then uh, the Feast of Pentecost come. Now, all these uh, first four feasts have absolutely been fulfilled. And when we observe communion, we're just remembering uh, that great Passover and we're remembering Jesus, our Passover lamb that was slain for us and how his blood has set us free from the penalty uh, and, the, you know, and the bondage of sin. And there will be no condemnation anymore for any of us. Amen. But now we're waiting on these three here. And so we're waiting on the sound of a trumpet. Now all these feasts except the Feast of Trumpets occurs on the full moon. So it's very easy. Now, if you've paid attention last night, but the moon is full, and it's bright and beautiful outside, and it's easy to see, even without a light. Uh, so all these feasts occur on the full moon except one, and that's the Feast of Trumpets. And that occurs on the beginning of a new moon. That's just a little slither. And that's why they, the Jews even today allow 48 hours for that to be seen. Sometimes they can't see it because the clouds obscure it. And so they would be positioned to watch the sky. This is where the, the watchmen and watch be watching and looking and all this and looking for the appearing. And so they're watching 
And when they see that first slither of the moon, uh, then throughout all of Israel in, in the Bible days, they would blow the shofar, the trumpet, the same one that Cleveland and them uh, did a while ago. And, uh, and they would hear that trumpet, and they would know that was the official uh, beginning of the Feast of Trumpets. And, 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 and so this trumpet, you know, the Bible says that, 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 you know, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And with the shout and with the, with the trump of the archangel of God, and the trumpet will sound, and it's called, we call it the rapture of the church. It's not, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but that don't bother me. The word Bible is not in the Bible, but I still believe in it. Help me. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but I still believe in it. Okay? So when that trumpet sounds, we're going to be caught up forever to be with the Lord in the air. Right? That's the only thing we're waiting on. So we're living in between right here, right now. We're between this and this next one. We're waiting on this one. Now, I was raised on this, and, and I don't have a lot of time to deal with this today, but I was raised on the any-minute rapture. God's going to come for you and get out the door. You better get yourself straightened out. I remember I was told that when I was 12 years old, 13. I actually, when I was 13, I remember praying that God wouldn't come. Anybody here beside me prayed that he wouldn't come right then? I mean, I, I wanted him to come, but I wanted to wait until at least I got 16 where I could get my license and have a car. Teenage mind, that's all I thought about. Lord, I know the preacher said you're going to come, and you're going to come any minute, and, you know, we've got to be ready and all that, and we're going to be left here and get our head chopped off and all, and all kinds of scary stuff. But just could you hang out until at least I get 16, maybe give me a year or two to drive around, you know? I'm serious. That's what I did. And he hadn't come. It's kind of weird living when you got to every, you don't know when the Lord's coming. Every day you just kind of, you know, packed up, prayed up. You ever heard that one? You know what that does? It makes God want to throw up. Now, this is going to sound strange to your ears, and I've actually had people leave the church over this, and I'm still stupid enough every year to tell you this. But this feast occurred some weeks ago. And though, as it occurred for those 48 hours, I was watchful, and I was listening. And in my heart, I said, will this be the year that you come get us, Father? And those 48 hours came and went, and I said, well, Papa, not this year. We'll be about your business, maybe next feast. Now, if I'm wrong, you can look me up in heaven, and I'll apologize to you, because I'm not God, but I do know him. And I know what, how consistent he's been in the past to do everything with the feast. And if you think God's going to ignore these last three, then I'm just going to nicely say that's not very smart. Why would God observe all four of these in congruence with everything he does and then his second coming to earth just be any old haphazard day? How many billboards and all have you seen when people told you the Lord was coming on a certain day? How many of them have been wrong? How many of them? All of them. And when they print another one, they'll be wrong too. Okay? Well, I thought the Bible said, Brother Dale, no man knows the day nor the hour. It does say that. And that's a Jewish understanding of that because nobody does know the day. That's why they gave 48 hours. But he said you'll know the season. That means the appointed time. And when you see the fig tree bud forth, you know in your head, don't you, tater head, that it's spring. That's what he's saying to us in the Bible. Don't you know that? He said, so you don't know the day or the hour, the day or the hour, but you know the time, the time. When will the Lord come? He's not going to come while you're eating watermelon on the 4th of July. He's going to come on that feast one of these years on the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpets shall sound, and we're going to be gone with the Lord, Okay. Forget all your left-behind movies. They're all wrong. Don't watch them. Seriously. All it does is provoke fear, and you try to get people born again out of fear. That never works. This is Papa coming after his bride. That's all. After this occurs, uh, then we've got nine more days, and then the tenth day we go into the atonement, the day of atonement. We'll talk about that more. I don't have the time. And then right after that last day of the Day of Atonement, then we move into the most glorious feast of all. 
it actually began initially seven days, and then they, it was so wonderful they didn't want to go home. They added an eighth day, which will be next Sunday, and I'll talk to you about the eighth day and what that means. And, and many of Jesus' great statements that he made, he made incongruent with these feasts. You remember when Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. When did Jesus say that? That verse begins, On the last day of the great feast, on the eighth day, that's when Jesus said it. While the high priest was pouring water from the brook, then the Lord took that opportunity because the Feast of Tabernacles, they pray for water, for rain. And so Jesus took that opportunity, and it says, with a loud voice, he cried out on that last day of the feast. And he took the attention from that high priest, that religious priest, to himself and said, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And if they'll just drink from me, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is the same vision that Ezekiel, the prophet, had in the Old Covenant. He said, I see water flowing out from the temple. He said, it's flowing out from the temple in every direction. He said, it first flows out and it's ankle deep. And he said, it continues to flow. And then it goes up to my knees and it's knee deep. And then he said, it's now the water's waist level. And then he goes on to even say, and he said, now the water has become a river that I can't, I can't even cross it. I have to swim in it. What is that? That's God's grace that's pouring out of Jesus. The Bible said there will be no temple. People in the world right now in the last some weeks have been losing their mind. Christians, religious Christians, have been losing their mind because they flew some cows to Israel. And they're, and they're looking for, they're more excited about the Antichrist or the possibility of that than they are the Christ. I want to tell you something, red heifers landing in Israel ain't got nothing to do with nothing but dumb, dead religion. They, I don't care if they build a temple or not, it ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing. You see how quiet it gets? The religion's taught you that. You've been listening to the wrong people. It'd be amazing if you just actually read the book for yourself sometime and just quit listening to all that stuff that I was raised on. Most of you were too. It's not the way it is at all. Whether they build a temple or not, it ain't got nothing to do with nothing. It don't make no difference. All that is is a distraction. If you wonder about when the Antichrist comes, why don't you read 1 John? John said at the time he wrote 1 John, he said the Antichrist is already here. Anti means against Christ. He said, for the spirit of the Antichrist has been in this earth at work ever since. Everybody's looking for one guy and a mark and three sixes and just... Stupid stuff. And all of you are looking forward to a tribulation, you know, in the future. Sorry to disappoint you, it's not going to be one. It was in the past. It happened in AD 70, but that's a whole other message. It takes a little bit longer to unpack that one for you. But I hope I don't disappoint somebody. Oh, no tribulation? Oh. I was so looking forward to it when people will be murdered by the thousands and blood will come up to the horse's bridle. Oh, man, you no tribulation. You mean I don't have to get my head chopped off at the chop block? And... Some of you are looking at me so strange. Welcome to Grace Point. We're glad you're here. If you'll just keep coming, we will get you delivered of all that religion and get you back in the Bible. And will bring you joy and peace from your papa. Amen? Now what I want to do in just a few minutes I got left. Deuteronomy 16 talks about the Feast of Tabernacles. And God said when you observe this feast, this joyous celebration. He said, I want you to celebrate it with the stranger. With the aliens. With the foreigners. With the widows. With the orphans. And of course with the Jews. God says that everybody is included in this feast. Nobody is to be excluded. That has always been Papa's heart, to include everybody. And God has always been with you, and you hear me say that a lot. God has always been with you. And do you notice today that when, during the worship, did the manifested presence of God begin to occupy and create goosebumps on all our bodies? Anybody have a, a little time thing? What was going on during here? And you know you felt it. If you ain't ever even spelled Bible, you felt God a while ago. If you was in this sanctuary, you felt the Lord's presence. 
Now, God's always here. He don't live here. We, you know, he, he lives in here. But he's everywhere. And uh, the presence of the Lord began to manifest so strong when she began to just, as she was going to lead into that third song, she began to say, the Lord is here. And Papa really liked that. He did really like it because that was the truth. And, and he didn't just hear, you know, he's always been here and he's always been with you. And he's always been for you. And the church likes to have people that are in and out and people that are included and people that are excluded. And then if, you know, you get people that you come into your group and then you can say everybody else is wrong. I should have brought them. My grandbabies, I call them babies. I want to still do that. My grandchildren, uh, the ones that live right down the street from me, uh, they, uh, they both took time yesterday to color. Man, I wish I'd have brought them. I'd have made a good point right here. But uh, they, they drew pictures of me. Now, Addie is six, so she did hers with crayon. She likes crayon. Aiden is 10. He used a pencil. But they both drew pictures of Poppy. Actually, Addie drew about three or four. Aiden, being older, drew one. Now, they both presented their pictures to me yesterday morning. And I looked at them. Now, the first one that Addie drew, I didn't think I looked like that because the ears were super big. <laughs> and they were, and the arm was exaggerated. And, uh, but I just said, baby, that's wonderful. That is beautiful. Poppy's going to keep this. Thank you. And, uh, and she said, well, I want to draw some more, though. I said, well, just go ahead, baby, draw what you want. Aiden took more time, and he drew one. And his was a little more distinct because he's older. He's, he's been around me longer. He's 10. She's 6. But I'm, my point that I'm making is all of us have this image of Papa God. But God is such a loving God, when you bring your image of him to him, he puts it on his refrigerator. He blesses you for it. But you have to admit that you don't have him precisely drawn. But it brings joy to Papa's heart because through your life experiences, that's how you see him. And he with great joy receives that. So don't be judging other people because they didn't draw just like you did. Because we're still talking about the same Papa. Does that help you? Now, I don't have time to really read all the stuff to make it feel like a real religious service for you. But in Acts chapter 10, we've got a guy that I want you to just hear about for just a few minutes, and his name is Cornelius. He is a Roman soldier. He is a centurion. Now, uh, Peter is a Jew, right? He is an apostle of Christ. We all pretty much know a lot of stories about Peter, but Peter is one of the included, and he sees everybody that's non-Jewish as being excluded. He will not eat with them. He will not fellowship with Gentiles. He's observing the Jewish tradition, and he calls Gentiles impure, unclean. So he don't associate with them. He don't go under their roof. He don't hang out with them. And so he is in a city called Joppa, and he is hanging out with this guy and, uh, at his house, and the guy, Peter's name is Simon Peter, and he's hanging out with a guy named Simon, and he's a tanner. Not, not John Tanner that married my daughter, but he's a different tanner. Anyway, uh, he's tans hides, right? And that means different. When I was a little kid and I ever heard about tanning hides, they was talking about this back here. You know, I'll tan your hide. <laughs> okay, anyway, so he's hanging out at this guy's house. It's 12 noon. He's hungry. They're fixing lunch. He goes up on the roof. He goes into a trance. He sees a vision. And in the vision, he sees a big gigantic sheet being lowered from heaven. He sees all manner of four-footed beasts and creeping things and all kind of animals on it. And he hears the Lord say, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter in the vision says, no, Lord, I, I've never, I'm a Jew, my God, I've never eaten anything unclean and I won't touch it. 
And so then, because he didn't get it the first time, God played the video the second time. And he didn't get it the second time, and God played the video the third time. And he saw that, that vision three times. Each time God saying, kill, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean or impure. I'm, I'm orthodox. I'm a Jew. I'm holy. I'm the elect. I'm the select. I'm the included. And it says, when he awoke from the vision, while he thought about the vision, he heard a knock at the door. And there were three men that were knocking at the door. And he heard the Spirit say to him, go with them doubting nothing. And so he went. Now these men came from and were sent by this Roman soldier, this centurion. The word centaur means a hundred. So he was a centurion. He was an important Roman soldier. He uh, supervised more than a hundred men. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, I don't have time to read it all to you, um, but you can read it and you'll see that I'm making none of this up. It says this man was devout. It says on down in the chapter that he had a, a good reputation among all the nation of Israel. For the Jews to, to, uh, to a lack of Roman, and especially a Roman soldier, he must have been one special guy. It says he was devout. That means he was devoted to God. And he wasn't devoted to a God of his own imagination. He was devoted to the God of Israel because that's why the Jews respected him so much. He was worshiping their God. This man is pre-Christ, pre-salvation. He's not saved, but he's worshiping God. He's praying always, it says. And he said he gives alms. Alms means he's being generously and he's giving to the poor and to the people. And, and, and he's trying to bless as many people. And it says that he's devoted, and it said not only is he devoted, but all of his household is devoted to God, Yahweh. And, and, and he prays. And he gives. And he's got all these attributes of a Christian, but he's not a Christian. He's a Gentile. Peter wouldn't even give him a second look. And as far as they're concerned, he's excluded. And he's praying. And, and then while Cornelius is praying one day, he goes into a vision. And in this vision, he sees an angel from the living God comes to him and talks to him. Now he's having angelic visitations. He's not even saved. Not bad for a guy not saved, huh? He's devout. He's praying always. He's giving to people. And now he's having an angelic visitation at the same level as the prophet Daniel. And these other prophets, he's having a vision. An angel from the living God has been sent to talk to this non-Christian, this excluded man. And this angel says to him, Cornelius, I want you to know that your prayers have been heard by Yahweh. And your prayers and your devotion and your alms has come up before God as a living memorial. And the Lord has took notice of you, and you're on his radar. And what God is sending you to do is for you to send three men to a city named Joppa. And not only am I going to give you the word of knowledge that you'll know the city, but I'm going to give you the man's address. It's a man whose name's Simon, and not just any Simon, he's Simon the Tanner. Now the brother's getting specific, detailed words of knowledge from this angel. Go to this guy's house, send men there, and seek for another man who is my apostle named Simon, but his surname is Peter. Now, this man, this Cornelius that ain't even saved, he's getting specific details. I wish I could get it like that all the time. <laughs> Very specific details. And so he just does what God said. He sends his, uh, two of his men along with a soldier. And he sends three men to Joppa. And they're the knockers on the door. And Peter has been told by the Holy Spirit, don't doubt nothing, go with these three men. And so Peter don't know for what purpose he's been sent. But he goes because he knows this God. He don't understand it. He's had a weird vision, four-cornered sheep, lower down, weird animals. God telling him to eat. God's not talking about food, and God's not talking about animals. He's talking about men, and that's very clear. And Peter walks into this guy's house, and he goes under to the roof of this Gentile, this Roman centurion, and he's got his house packed with all his friends, family, and neighbors. They're standing there waiting for the arrival of this 
apostle. And in fact, when Peter walks in, they, uh, Cornelius falls to the ground and begins to worship him. And Peter says, man, I'm, I'm just a human. I'm a regular guy. Get up. Don't worship me. And Peter says, for what purpose have y'all sent for me? He don't even know. And then all of a sudden, you know, he said, I had a vision. And, he, and Cornelius tells him the details. And while he's telling him that, you know the Spirit of the Lord's got to be coming on Peter. And it says after he heard why, you know, he sent for and why the guy's not, then it says Peter opened his mouth and he begins to preach Jesus to him. Now here's a man that was worshiping God, devoted to God, but he didn't know anything about Jesus. And so now Peter is telling him the details about Jesus. And this man was crucified. And this man was raised from the dead. And this man, boy, he just rolls through it. And Peter is preaching Jesus. But he's not through preaching. He's preaching to Gentiles. He's preaching to non-Jews. This is a no-no. And so he's preaching. And it says, while Peter yet was speaking, it's like God said, that's enough. I got this from him. And the Holy Spirit, it said, fell upon all of them in the room. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says they began to speak in other tongues and praise and magnify God. Now here we got people that ain't even saved now, baptized in the Holy Spirit, that ain't even been water baptized. Man, they're getting it all messed up here. God don't even know what he's doing, don't look like. We're getting people saved before they even get baptized. Peter's freaking out and says, you know, he says, and then he remembered that the same Holy Spirit that fell on them in the book of Acts chapter 2 has now fallen upon all these non-Jews. And he said, who was I that I could prevent water? And he says, let's find some water and get them all baptized so we can halfway do this thing right. And they were all baptized. And now they're considered to be saved. Now, this man was devoted, prayed, God heard his prayers, God answers his prayers, and God said, your prayers and giving has become up me as a memorial. And this was all done before Christ, before Christianity, before Christ. Or was it? Is there anyone that's really before Christ? Because we are all before Christ constantly. Did you get that? You do not predate the cross. You, your life, does not predate the cross. You have not lived prior to the cross, right? You don't predate it. Can I say this to you? You don't predate the foundation of the world. There is no such thing as before Christ and after Christ. Because you're not before Christ. Christ is before you. Your spiritual journey, like Cornelius's, did not begin when you said yes to Jesus. Your spiritual journey began when God said yes to you. And accepted you before the foundation of the world. And ordained you, Ephesians chapter 1, to be adopted as sons before the foundation of the world. Where God says in Ephesians 1 that I chose you in me before the foundation of the world. You're, you're not before Christ because I'm before you. And even though you are looked on by many as being excluded, I say to you that you've all always been included. And you've always been God's kid. And God's always heard your prayers. And God's always talked to you, just like he did Cornelius. And God's always listened to you. And God's answered your prayers. And God's been working to reveal his son to you so that you would get even a clearer image of who he is. You've never been without him. He's always been there for you. And he's always been talking to you. And he's always had his arms around you. And in, in, in all the mess and all the garbage and all the sin and all that you'd done, he was right in the middle of it with you. Not condoning it, but not condemning you. 
This is where Romans 5 is, is extremely important. Because Romans 5 says this. Listen to what it says. Uh, and this is why we can make this statement so bold. Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5 and 6. This is what the Bible says. Okay to read the Bible here? It says, for when we were still without strength in due time, that means an appointed time, Christ died for the who? For the who? Christ died for who? Not for people that would accept. He died for the ungodly. Verse 8 of Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still, what? What did Christ do for us? While you're sinners. There's nothing more he could give you. While we're sinners, he, he died for you. Romans 5 verse 10. Listen to this one. This should blow your mind. For if when we were enemies, God says, now while you were my enemy, you know where you were against me. We were, not will be one day. Not will be if you pray the prayer. It's okay just to read what it says. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. That means made right. The books got balanced. We were reconciled to God. How were we reconciled to God? By you saying a prayer? Mm -mm. Through the death of his son. What did the death of his son do? It reconciled the enemies to God. You, you just don't know you've been reconciled. You've been told that God's separated from you because of your sin. You've been told that God can't hardly stand to look at you, that he's a distant, off, angry at times God. That's what you've been told, but you've been lied to. And so it says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more. If you read Romans 5, I don't have time to read it, but there's so many verses where Paul will say something, and then he'll go, much more. <laughs> and then he'll say something else, much more. He just keeps going, much more. Having been, not having will be someday, if you pray the prayer. Having been reconciled, we shall be what? We shall be what? By what? By what? His life. Okay to read the Bible here. That's what It says what it says. Verse 18 of Romans 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, that one man was Adam, judgment came to all men. Notice the word judgment is in your Bible, King James, or New King James, italicized. That means it does not appear in the original verse. Just interesting. It says, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness. Who's that man? Jesus. His righteous act, the free gift came to how many men? The free gift came to how many? Now what did it, resulting in what? What does justification mean? Made right. Made righteous. Right with God. Made righteous of life. 1 John 2 and 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins, not of just our sins, he said, but for the sins of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5 says that God was in Christ while he was on the cross, reconciling the sin, noun, sin, of the world unto himself. Not imputing, not counting, not recording, not keeping a record of men's trespasses against him. Your account with God in the sin account, it has a zero balance. And it's had that since 2,000 years ago. When the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world, which included yours and mine. So God's not angry with you because he has nothing to be angry with you about. Religion tries to make you believe that God's angry with you. Please hear me at this point. I always have to interject this for the people that get offended at me. And I have to defend my gospel, which is Paul's gospel, which is the gospel of grace. So I join the apostle Paul in doing what he did. And I defend what I've just said. Because my people that would come against it say, well, why don't we just all go sin like crazy? Well, that's stupid. That's a spirit of stupid. 
They told Paul the same thing. If, if, if what you said is true, why don't we sin all the more so that grace can abound? And Paul said, God forbid, that's not what I'm saying, taterheads. I throw the last part in, that's not in the Greek. But he, he's, so what's Peter's conclusion of what happened to him? What did the apostle Peter, what did he conclude? In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, the latter part of that verse, this is what it says in the Bible. This was Peter's conclusion after his experience. He said, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I'm not to look at any man and say, I'm in, he's out. I'm included, he's excluded. I'm on my way to heaven, he's on his way to hell. God said, told the apostle, don't do that no more. Nobody's excluded by me. Religion will do that. Denominations will do But I don't exclude anyone. And that's part of the Feast of Tabernacles. I want everybody to come. Jew, Gentile, foreigner, alien. I want everybody to worship me. And then in verse 34 and 35 of that same Acts 10, it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Verse 35. But in every nation... Whoever fears him, that means just like Cornelius, whoever worships him and works righteousness is accepted by him. There is no before Christ. You have always been, just like Cornelius, on God's radar. And he's always been pursuing you, loving you, reaching for you, listening to you talk to him. Even when you cursed him, he was listening. And even when you drew your image of God with your crayon, and, and your weird view of God, he still puts it on his refrigerator and says, it's okay, I'm going to keep working with you until you would clear that image up just a little bit. Because I'm not that guy. Some of you have drawn your little crayon picture of God with a big hammer to bash you when you do wrong. Some of you think God's got a big record book of all you sin and all you've ever done. None of that is true. And it's not in the Bible. Over and over in the New Testament, it says, God said, I'm not keeping a record of any of your wrong. I have no record. And this is where I interject this little thing. This is my caveat. I encourage you not to sin. Not because you're breaking rules of God. But I encourage you not to sin because it hurts you whom he loves. And it hurts people that love you. I don't tell my little, kid, my little grandchildren, hey, I, you know, don't stick your finger in, in the fan, I say that a lot because I've actually got a fan in my garage and on these hot days I like to keep it running. Kind of keeps the air moving in there if I'm out there doing something. And I have seen her, not so much now at six, but at three and four, she was very tempted to stick her fingers in there. She'd put her mouth up to it and go, uh, and it's going, blah, 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 and she loved that. But then, you know, that's okay, you know, because you can't get your lips in there that deep. And so I don't, I don't comment much about that. But then I saw them little fingers start trying to get in there. Addie, don't put your fingers in there, baby. They cut them off. And it won't just hurt today. It's going to hurt a long time. That's the heart of a papa who don't want his kid to do something that's wrong, not because of a rule, but because of love. And anything that papa ever says, hey, don't do that, he's not trying to give you some moral test of morality. He knows that there's pain there and there's hurt there and he loves his kids. And he just don't want you to do it and hurt yourself. There is consequences to real bad decisions. Sin, the wages of it, is death. And that's the same for a Christian doing sin or a non-Christian doing sin. The, the, the pay is the same. Can I encourage you not to be involved in it and don't believe the lie and be drawn into it and do it because it hurts you. And it brings hurt to people that love you. And it could bring hurt to even other people that don't even know you. And Papa don't want that. Because he loves his kids. Stand to your feet. We welcome you for the Feast of Tabernacles. We want the foreigner, the stranger, the widow, the orphan. We want the Jew, the Gentile. We want everybody to celebrate this feast with us. Did you hear some good news in here today? Do you know? <laughs> Listen. Can you really wrap your heart around the truth that just like Cornelius, 
You are included, not excluded. You're in, not out. Can you say amen? amen. Let me pray for us and then I'll dismiss you. Papa, thank you for loving us. Now I've assembled the people like your word says. And we have come into this place at the appointed time, your appointed time. And we're keeping the feast in a prophetic intent, looking forward to the day that you come in a physical way forever to tabernacle with us and forever to be with us. But you're with us now. You're with us now. You've always been with us. You've always been for us. And so I pray that every person that hears this will know and believe in their heart they're not excluded. They're not out. No matter how far that they may feel out or how far they may feel like they are away from you, let them know they're not away from you. You hear their prayer. You're, they're on your radar. You could send an angel just like to them like you did Cornelius if you thought they needed one. And you would. You'll do whatever because you love your kids. So I pray the revelation that Paul woke up to where he said, when it pleased the Lord who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me, I pray just like Peter woke up to the fact that nobody's excluded. The people we thought were out are really in. Peter woke up to that truth. He struggled with it but he accepted it because that's part of accepting you, that you love everybody, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, you love them. And that's why I read today that every nation, kindred, tongue, and language, and tribe is before the throne with palm branches in their hands when this thing is all over, worshiping you. And I pray that we prophetically live out that proclamation this week as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of your joy. And I pray, Father, that our hearts are filled with that joy that is our strength, which is yours. I pray that you would awaken everybody that hears this to the hope that Christ is in them, is their hope of glory. And that's in Jesus' name. And I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love you. God bless you. I can't wait to see you tomorrow night at 7.